This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May the 3rd, the four-wheelers and a hot tub edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I am the father of Eliza, who is seven years old, and Leo, who is three and three quarters. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. I am Carva Wallace, a writer and podcaster from Oakland, California, here reporting from KUOW in Seattle, Washington, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about young love and sleeping arrangements. And then we have another one about what to do when your fellow parents are bombarding you at all hours with text messages asking you to help them with the school play and stupid stuff like that. And on Slate Plus today, Carvel is going to share a bonus fail and we're going to discuss it. So stay tuned for that. But first, it's time for triumphs and fails. Carvel, you weren't here last week. Triumph. Or fail. Yeah, I have a I have a triumph this week in the ongoing saga of Ezra v ADHD, and um, he 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 began um, treatment and medication this past week, or actually it was two weeks ago. They gave it to him, and then we stopped after the first day because we all remembered that when he was very young, he had been diagnosed with a slight heart murmur. And that's contraindicated. <laughs> so we had to stop and then re-up the EKG and the heart monitor stuff. And, and then it just turned out it's fine. But although it was cool to see his heart, that was so weird. Like my, you know, 5'11", 181-pound baby <laughs> seeing his heartbeat. That was phenomenal. But in any event, so uh, that was done. And then we went back on the medication. And so he began his week, you know, with the medication, taking it in the morning and getting through the day. And... uh so much has improved already that it's kind of mind blowing. And it's not, I don't think it's just the medication necessarily, but it's something about the entire process of him thinking of what he's doing now as addressing this like ongoing issue that he's had fitting in with the demands of his life. And now that there's his, his attitude has changed, he feels like he's a part of something. He feels like he's trying to do it. He's like, we were out the other day and he wanted to go home early so he could finish his homework. And, it's just like you've never said that. You've never said I, we have to get back so I can finish my homework, you know. But it's like it's like you know. So it's too early. I'm not necessarily like dancing in the end zone yet. But it was just really nice to, to see the the entire switch in the way our dynamic was this past week about school. And again, I don't think the medicine was like a magic pill that made it all happen. I think the whole process and the acknowledgement of this and the therapy and the meeting with the therapists and the physicians and so forth. I think that has really changed the way that he re regards himself and i think that's awesome so yeah we have a victory there and uh well we hope to keep it going i'll go next i i have a small triumph um we have this ongoing issue especially with both of the kids but especially with leo where he will not let us listen to our music he only wants to listen to his music the only music he will accept is music that made, that's made for kids in specifically, really now, the only music he will accept is music that's the soundtrack to some TV show or movie for kids. 
like the only function of music is as a kind of methadone for watching TV. Like we don't let him watch all the TV that he wants to watch. So, but sometimes you can put on the, the music from the show and that's almost as good. And now whenever we, you know, we listen to a lot of music, we'd like, I want to put on a record. It's one of the only things I like and, and I'm not allowed to do it because there's this kid who like, as soon as I do, and I try it and we've tried like taking a firm line and like, we're listening to this very nice, pleasant record that you're going to either enjoy or tolerate. And the for the entire length of the album, uh, what I'm actually hearing are the whining screams of a three-year-old. You know, it's not actually a pleasant way to listen to music. But so we figured out recently, well, we were listening to an album by uh, Katie Musgraves. She's a uh, country singer. She's terrific. And she has this new album that we've been really getting into. And there's one of the songs is called Wonder Woman. It's like, uh, baby, I'm no Wonder Woman. I can't seem to lasso the truth out of you. Classic songwriter, superhero trope. Um, but Tally had the brilliant idea of playing that song for him and saying, look, it's a song about Wonder Woman. This is a superhero song. It's about Wonder Woman. And he got really into it. And then we get to listen to the whole album because she's like, you want to hear the Wonder Woman album? And he's like, okay. So then we're listening to the Wonder Woman album. And so from there, I realized there are actually quite a lot of songs that have superheroes in them. So I started playing R.E.M. had that song about Superman. It's a cover of some 60s song. But so I played him that. (laughs) And he was into that one because it's being sung by Superman. He says, I am Superman and I know what's happening. Um, And then recently, my biggest brainwave was when he was having a bath. And I said, oh, do you? I remembered that on their first album the jam did a cover of the batman theme so i was like do you want to hear the batman song and he was like uh-huh so i put on the jam uh and it, you know they're playing like batman and he was like really into it and i showed him he wants to see the picture on the cover so i showed it like on your phone it shows the cover of the record and so i showed him he's like that's not batman it's like a black and white picture of like three english teenagers he's like that's not batman and i'm like no those are the guys who sing the Batman song. They're the Batman band. So now we listen to the jam all the time, as long as we refer to it as the Batman band. Um, so that has been my way of um, getting to listen to adult music in, within a very, very narrow set of parameters. Hmm. Gateway drug, though, maybe, right? <laughs> That's my hope. Is yeah, that absolutely. Then, right, exactly. Yeah. This then leads to, yeah. like, it's another record by the Batman band. It's the friends of the Batman <laughs> band. I don't know. We'll right. see what we can get out of this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think there is something about like a catchy hook and chorus that kids like. So, I had you know, thought that. I, yeah, and yet I, he, he turns down all of this great music. I'm sorry, you, you've struck a nerve. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. No, it's okay. Like your kid isn't going to listen to, I mean, my, my kid's first entree into listening to adult music. I always put the Beatles for them when they were little. And they definitely preferred like... The songs from, you know, Revolver way before they would even tolerate, you know, like Abbey Road or whatever, because they had, they had those like little, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus constructs. And kids seem to like that better. Yeah. I so, got him really into the Beatles for a while through Yellow Submarine, the kids Beatles song. And then we got yeah. him into And he would listen to that for a while. And then he, he it was only later that his parameters got so limited that he <laughs> insisted that there had to be some sort of TV tie in. Only all, Ringo songs. All of the... <laughs> <laughs> well, right. That's the other thing is you can get really fucking sick of the Beatles too, frankly. <laughs> um, in any case, Rebecca, triumph or fail? A small fail. Um, I learned something about my son, Teddy, a couple nights ago that I didn't know. And it's one of those things where you're like, how do we make it this far? You're almost 15 and a half. And I never knew this about you. And it's so weird and gross. So we bought, you know, it's summer. Finally, it feels like summer. So I bought like the first, you know, watermelon of the season. Bring it home, take the cho- the carving knife, chop it up into slices, put it on a big platter. 
we're sort of walking by it, you know, randomly after dinner, grabbing a piece, eating it. And I look over and Teddy is eating the rind of the watermelon. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> He's just eating it. He's eating it like it's is part he... of the water. Oh, yeah. God. And I'm like, you're not supposed to eat. He's like, I know. He's like, I've always eaten this part. I'm like, you've what? what? The... Like, how is that possible? <laughs> that you have always eaten that part. He's like, yeah, I've always eaten this part. It's no big deal. Stop making a big deal out of it. It's not a big deal. What? And I'm like, it is a very big deal. Eh? I mean, I to, to be fair, I eat the I eat the seeds in the watermelon. Sure. Like my stepdad always ate the seeds. Nothing and he wrong didn't with care. the seeds. And he's like, they're just yeah, crunchy. The they add good. some texture. Um, yeah. The rind. And you get a watermelon like, in your stomach, as you as you well know. <laughs> but didn't you? Did, haven't you guys always heard that if you eat the rind, it'll make you sick or whatever? But no, I, Teddy, I've, I've um, heard. I've heard don't yeah. eat the rind because you're not a goat is what I've heard. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, All right. Don't eat the rind like, because does he eat, does... you look like an insane person. Yeah, he eats right. the whole does thing. Does he eat cans too? Like what is the deal? <laughs> it's ridiculous. But he, I, okay, so I just started teaching him to drive. We have had our first couple outings in the car and it's been really fun and you know, sort of seeing where he's what he's good at with driving and what makes him insecure. It's very different than the experience I had with his brother. And the best part, I will say, about teaching your teenager to drive is that you get you get to spend a lot of time alone with them. Like, and they have no mm. choice but to talk to you because right. you're teaching them how to drive. <laughs> um, it's yeah. wonderful. And you know, I was thinking this was like an hour before the watermelon incident. Like, just how wonderful this is, and like how well I know this kid. And I always knew he'd be good at like turning because he has all this great hand-eye coordination from all these stupid video games he plays, and you know, all the ways that I thought he'd be a good driver, he's turned out to be a good driver. And all the things he's afraid he he I thought he'd be afraid of, it turns out he's afraid of. Of. And so I feel like I'm like, yeah, I know this kid. And then I come home and watch him eat a freaking watermelon rind. And I'm like, I don't know anything about you. What is going on? Yeah. yeah. So, it, yeah. It also, you know, we, we got a letter, I remember, from somebody who was having trouble with, like, potty training. And I remember us saying to them, you know, whatever, your kid is two and a half and maybe they won't get potty trained until they're two and three quarters. But it's not like they're going to grow up into an adult who takes a shit on the floor, right? But, yeah. but but what your story suggests is that if you fail to teach a kid just one <laughs> crucial detail, exactly, they grow up. They're walking down the street eating a watermelon rind. It's yep. terrifying. Yep, it's kind of like learning the lyrics to a words uh, a song wrong and then like singing it wrong in front of other people. Like how yeah, horrible publicly. and embarrassing that is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like that. Except he's eating the watermelon rind. Yeah. Oh my god, he, need, he must be stopped. This isn't. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The entire thing has been a witch hunt. I've seen the tweet about tapes. Lordy, I hope there are tapes. The president is not against immigration. Alternative facts. I guess it's kind of like we're living in the twilight zone. When the news changes quickly. And Washington feels like a circus. We're here to help you make sense of it all. I'm Emily Bazelon. I'm David Plotz. And I'm John Dickerson. We're the co-hosts of the Political Gap Fest. The essential weekly political news podcast from Slate. Subscribe to the Political Gab Fest to stay up on the latest news from Washington. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Before we move on, 
Let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, uh, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momanddadatslate.com. Uh, we have moved our Facebook presence. If you were following us on the old Mom and Dad Are Fighting Facebook page, you should come to the promised land, which is the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. There is so much great discussion there from us and from you. On Slate Plus today, Carvel had an extra fail to share. This is a long-term, wide-ranging fail uh, about, well, here's a little snippet of that conversation. She is beginning to become aware of some more adult uh, things and substances, let's say, in, in her life. Like, they're aware, like, it's around. To hear that segment and another segment like it every week and to get this podcast with no ads at all, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is a great way for you to help support this show. Just $35 for your first year. You get these extended ad-free versions of all of our Slate podcasts, uh, and you help us make this show. So if you want to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Uh, time to take a question from a listener. This one came to us by email, momanddad at slate.com. Uh, it's from Amy. It's being read for us by Lena Wilson. Hi, Mom and Dad. I have a parenting dilemma regarding my son and his first real girlfriend. Let's call them Jared and Ella. She's 16 and he'll be 17 in a few months. They've been close friends for about two years, dating for four months. Over the past several months, Jared and Ella take turns hanging out at our house, her dad's house, going to each other's soccer and music events, etc. The problem is this. Her mom lives an hour and a half away, so Ella only goes there once a month because of her busy high school schedule. Her mom really wants to meet Jared, and they've asked to have him come with her next time and spend the weekend. Because of the distance, her dad drives one way to drop her off on Friday night, and her mom drives her and her siblings home on Sunday. The initial reaction from both me and my husband was absolutely not. They've only been dating a few months and should not be spending the night together at their age. My husband thinks we should say no, and if they're still together in a few months, we could revisit the idea. But Jared kept begging, saying that Ella's mom really wanted to meet him, and Ella wants him to meet her step-siblings. I spoke to Ella's mom on the phone, who said she runs a tight ship and that there would be no funny business going on. She has three kids and three stepkids, so Jared would be in a room with the boys at one end of the house, while Ella was in a bunk bed with her sisters at the other end of the house. At one point, he told me that they have four-wheelers and a hot tub, to which I let him know he was not helping his case with that information. I am still torn about allowing my son to go anywhere where he'll be sleeping in the same house as his 16-year-old girlfriend. I was having sex at 16, so I know it's a thing that will happen soon if it hasn't already, and I've had many birds and bees talks with him over the years. But allowing them to spend the night in the same house seems like a lot at this age. Thanks, Amy. This seems crazy Puritan to me. Am I alone in that? Like, I get not wanting to provide a, like, hotel room for your teenage kid to have sex in. But um, if they're going to be at opposite ends of the house, he's going to be in, like, bunk beds with her brothers and stuff. Like, why? This feels like putting some kind of formal propriety ahead of any actual thing that's actually going on. And, And I don't really understand where the concern is coming from. What do you guys think? Yeah... I don't know. I mean, I, I think the same thing. I mean, I think that, but for different reasons. I think that it it does seem, it does seem unnecessarily 
um, hinged on a kind of visual propriety, like under no circumstances will young ladies and young men like share the same, you know, sleep under the same roof, you know. Um, but I also think that the other thing that feels to me a little bit off about the parents' concerns are that they're, I, how do you say this? Like, I mean, I don't want to say kids are going to have sex. They I are. I certainly want to say that. Yeah, they are. But they are. Yeah. I mean, that's why humans have been here for like 50,000 years or whatever it is, because people seem to find a way to do it. And so I think that there's not a whole lot you can do to prevent 100% your kid from doing it. And or if there is, the th- or the, rather I'll say this, the things that are most effective is not necessarily like this kind of, you know, um, sort of sharp proprietary rule setting. The parent at the other house obviously is not like, hey, I'm inviting your son to an orgy. Like, oh, tell him to bring a condom. You know, like the parent is not there for that. That is not their thing. So it's like having another parent there who's going to try and keep the kids in no funny business. And you stay over here and, you, and I hear noises. That's all going to happen. OK, that's fine. And kids are going to find some way around that probably because that's what we did when we were growing up. And I'm sure that's what kids will continue to do. And so I think that the the way that you the way that you make sure that if, if preventing your kids from having sex is the same, if the end game of that is for your kids to have a healthy relationship to sex that isn't harmful to them or to other people, if that's the end game, then I, I think that that's what you focus on. And so you certainly tell your kids why you don't think that they're ready for this and what it and what it means and why it's a big deal and like what these decisions mean and so forth. You communicate all that so that your kids are armed with the information and the knowledge. And you also communicate things about safe sex because so they're armed with communication knowledge and you communicate things about how difficult it is for people to understand fully their feelings and emotions and consent and how and 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 the way our society treats sex and treats women as sexual objects and where that fits into this you communicate all that so that they have all the knowledge and information but i don't think you can legislate truly what they do that's literally the point of teenagers is people you can't legislate you know what I mean? They're people you can't. And, and you people have who desperately want to have sex. <laughs> yes. So when you put those two together, you know, I don't think that I wouldn't, I don't think that keeping your kid at home while, while other people, you know, while like keeping this from happening, I think the damage of that isn't necessarily, doesn't pay off because they're just going to find another way to have sex. This just I mean, seems like the, these they're, they're in <laughs> love. They've been do, going yeah. out for four months. They meet each other's families. He's going to church with her family. It seems like they have a very nice relationship. Yeah, you got to educate them about all of the things that they need to know. And so this this just seems like a great context for your in which this relationship, I should say, seems like a great context for your son to begin having sex if he wants to be having sex or exploring whatever he wants to be doing. And that seems completely separate from going and having a sleepover with his girlfriend's family and then going to church with them. Those seem like two completely separate things and neither of them particularly seems like a thing to worry about. Yeah. So I'll just tell you, I grew up in the kind of environment where there were a lot of arbitrary rules about 
being alone, you know, with a boy, you're never allowed to be alone with a boy. You're not allowed to have a male friend over when no one's home. You're not allowed to go to your boyfriend's house when his parents aren't home. A lot of those kinds of rules that were designed for this exact thing. You know, A, propriety, like, I don't want to tell people that I'm the kind of parent who, you know, goes to her boyfriend's family's vacation home and, you know, is allowed to stay there for a week or whatever, which I was invited to do and I wasn't allowed to go. Um, And also this idea that it's going to prevent you from having sex is not true. What it prevents you from is telling your mom when you have had sex and you accidentally got pregnant. Like you Mm. are basically closing the door on that communication, the kind of communication you really, really want to have when you place these kinds of what I think of as honestly arbitrary restrictions on kids and trying to keep them apart. I mean, I I think this mom has done all the due diligence. She's talked to the other mom. She said, hey, you know, I have concerns about this. It's new territory for me. You know, I, you know, I just want to make sure that like you know what my concerns are. I mean, I don't know if she's asking this mom to also share the concerns with her. I don't think that would be fair either. But to say, like, I want you to know what my concerns are. And, you know, it might be like a legitimate concern to say another one, for instance, like, I don't want my son riding the four wheelers. That's a legitimate concern that she could say. That's like a safety thing. You know, she knows her son isn't experienced riding four wheelers and she doesn't want him riding them because she knows that they can be really dangerous, which, by the way, they can. But that's separate conversation. Um, That's all reasonable. And all you've done all the groundwork sort of expressing those concerns. But when your son ultimately knows that you will like do anything but let him you know, spend this sounds like very wholesome quality time with his girlfriend's family at his parents at her parents' request. You're setting up a situation in which if something bad were to happen, if your worst fear were to come to fruition around this potentially sexual relationship, they're not going to tell you about it. And then it's going to be so much worse than if they were comfortable telling you about it. So mm-hmm. I know it's I know it's rough and I, it can be a difficult transition. When Henry and his girlfriend started dating almost a year ago now, I was like I went he went from zero to 60 with this relationship and they've known each other forever. It sounds kind of a similar situation. Like I know her parents. Uh, they are great together. And it, you know, pretty, I became aware pretty you know soon into it, like there's stuff going on. And I was like, I have a choice here. I can, I'm not going to like facilitate it and be like, hey, kids, why don't you go upstairs? I'm not going to do that. But if I come home and they're upstairs, like I'm also not going to shame and embarrass them, uh, you know, because they're doing something that like, you know, in a in a safe environment where they feel comfortable and warm and not in a car behind a 7-Eleven, like I, I'm not going to add so much shame to the equation that if there were a problem, they wouldn't want to tell us about it, you know, either my her parents or us. And I don't know, to, to me, that is the priority in this situation. And, and that should be like the eyes on the prize thing. If you have some sort of like incredible moral or safety objection to sex. It's kind of a separate conversation, I agree, from the sleepover. And that's another conversation we can have on the show. But since you asked about the sleepover, I think you should let him go. And I think that you should let him go and have a real conversation with him and say, like, I have fears about this. These fears belong to me. I've been putting them on you. But what I don't want to do is make it so that you don't come to me when you have problems, especially if those problems are related to girls or sex. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of, I mean, I've realized over the course of giving, like, talking about this stuff over this, these last, like, few years, like, uh, we, I really feel like the strategy with situations like this is that you you make it known that 
you're not into it, that you have doubts about it, that you have concerns about it, that that they're that they're that it's not allowed, quote unquote, in that sense. But you also do so. It's this weird line that you that that at least I try to like walk where. But then I also know there's that. But on the other hand, I know that they're going to do it, and they and I know that they know that I know. You know what I mean? And so I'm so I'm available to talk about it. And because whatever boundaries you set, the kids are going to find that boundary and then go beyond it. That's just like there's no they will never stick at a boundary that you set. You have to set a boundary and say, this is what I'm comfortable with and this is what I'm concerned about. But you can't just be like, this is what you're allowed to do and this is what you're not allowed to do. You have to say, this is what I'm concerned about and this is why I'm concerned about it. And here's all the things so that they know that it's not about restriction. It's not a, because people like kids especially respond negatively to the notion of being restricted. That's not, you know, that's not a thing that people that like gets people, you know, and so like you, you use restrictions sparingly and the rest of it, you have an honest conversation with them that says like, this is why, this is what I'm concerned about. This is, this is what I happen to know from my vantage point that may not be clear to you yet. And here's what I, you know, am worried about. And like, sometimes that stuff goes in one ear and out the other because kids are always thinking, yeah, well, that's not going to happen to me because that's the way our brains work at that age. And so they go out and do the thing that you told them you were concerned about. But the fact that you've had that conversation with them means that you can, that it's not about who's right versus who's wrong, that it's simply about here's this existence of this thing. And I'm giving you information about that. And so if you need information about that or help with that or help navigating that, you can come to me because that's an area that I'm comfortable talking about. I think that's how you help navigate kids through these these scarier things of like sex and drugs and drinking and partying and all the other scary things there are when our kids go out into the world. Uh, yeah, I just want to add one thing, um, which is that you know there's there's all the sex stuff which can be complicated, but in this case, I don't think is particularly complicated. But then there's also the um, like the reason he wants to go there and the reason she wants him to go there is for him to meet her mom. You know, they're right. like they're in love and, and he doesn't get to see her mom because her mom lives an hour and a half away. And now he's going to go there and spend some time with her mom and her step siblings and, and, and bec- like meet and see that part of her life and that part of her family, which he hasn't had the opportunity to do. And that seems like an affirmative good. Like that seems like something that brings them closer together and this you've said that this is a relationship that you respect and she's a wonderful girl and this has been really good for him. And like why wouldn't you want to give your kid that that chance to um, deepen his relationship with this wonderful girl and, and meet this other side of her family and like – yeah, good for him. That that seems great. And and the idea that you would be so worried about just the fact of them spending the night under the same roof at opposite ends of the house that you might deprive him of the opportunity to to do that, that's that's sort of alien to me. Hope that was helpful. Um, let us know what you decide and uh, how it all goes. Thanks for the question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
We have another question now. It also came to us by email. This one is from Seattle, which is where Carvel is right now. Carvel, look out yes, your window. Yes, I, I came to report on this story. <laughs> do, do you with see? More, with more on the ground. <laughs> do you see mom in Seattle? <laughs> Hello. I'm the mother of two daughters, 10 and 7, in Seattle. This is a place where many parents are from out of state and do not have family nearby for support, so I have compassion for the fact that parents are constantly reaching out for childcare favors from their peers. However, this year has been sad for me because of the huge amount of will-you-help text messages and very, very few will-you-hang-out text messages that I've been getting from my fellow parents. Last Friday, while having a relaxing glass of wine with my husband, I had to respond to a text from the mother of my older daughter's friend that inquired about a sleepover at our house Saturday night. There was no such sleepover planned. We've told my daughter that Saturday is date night for us and that after-school playdates will suffice. So I very politely texted this back. Then on Sunday evening, as I was trying to wind down with TV after an active weekend with the kids, a mommy felt it necessary to text all the parents she knew about the volunteer shortage for the school play. No response was expected. I felt like this was a message appropriate for email, not text. The week before, it was the mommy who texted me to drive her daughter home after Girl Scouts because her younger child was sleeping. After helping her, I found out that my daughter had not been invited to her daughter's birthday party, a huge bummer for my daughter. Before that, it was a text from the very nice mom we see at school functions asking me to drive her daughter to the choir concert. Her daughter and mine do not hang out. She ended up finding someone else to help. I'll add that I have a terrific husband who takes me out regularly on date nights. He understands how upset I've felt for many years now at how parents who are not social with us, sometimes whose children are not social with ours, feel free to text me for childcare or school volunteer favors. We both already step up in our community quite enough and take on volunteer roles such as coaching sports and helping in the classroom. I think that we're perceived in our community as highly responsible. These are my questions. What do you think of people who use text specifically for parent-to-parent -parent communication? When is email better? Do I need to turn off my phone so that I can have a truly relaxing glass of wine on Friday evening? Ditto to winding down with TV on Sunday evening. What do you guys think? What are your experiences for text versus email regarding parent-to-parent -parent communication? I'm considering going back to talk-only cell phone. I'm so tired of this. I'll absolutely be removing my phone number from the school directory next year and telling parents that email works best for me. Thanks, mom in Seattle. Problem solved, right? <laughs> She's going to remove her phone number. Yeah. I <laughs> Great. Oh. Next question. I hate to say this. Uh, on the statement, I felt like this was a message appropriate for email, not text. I feel you so hard. I am right there with you. And yet history has left you and me both behind. And and I think you. J this is how people do it. You got to just get with it. Yeah. And, and whatever yeah. kind of aesthetic or structural preferences you have in your head about like this is what you use email for and that's what you use text for. Unless the rest of the world shares your exact highly specific preferences. And believe me, I wish they did. Uh, sorry, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> mm. True. True. Yeah, I th I think that's I, I think that's fair. I think it's I mean that struck struck me as weird too. Like I I think it's and maybe this is to your point, Gabe. Like I happen to be among the group of people on, on the planet who think that it's weird to text someone to email someone about a favor. Like, hey, can you pick up so and so on Tuesday night? Like that's a weird thing for an email. You shouldn't email. It's weird to email something that's one sentence. Actually, is the way I break it down in my head, and that's art completely arbitrary. But I think. You know, if I have text access to the person, you know, it's weird to say, hey, can will you be at the game on Friday? 
via email. Like, why would you email that? Because then the person has to open their email and then respond. <laughs> it's like two. I don't steps. know. It just feels more. It's a lot of steps. Yeah. Just extra clicks, you know. I and so you. I feel like I don't think there's anything wrong with with texting this stuff. I think that this person is is has. I think that the, this letter writer is struggling a little bit with boundary issues, actually. And and so the texts feel, um, they feel heavy and weighted to her because she has a hard time saying no, actually. And so I think that um, I think that every time a text comes, it increases this measure of pressure on her to respond, whereas she can easily just say, she can easily just not respond to the text. Like, mm-hmm. that's not, you don't have to stop watching your Sunday night movie or drinking your Friday night glass of wine because someone texted you about something happening at 4 p.m. on Saturday. You don't have right. to. That's not a thing. And so I think I think that for for this person, the the problem isn't that people are texting to say, "Can you pick up my kid after dance?" That's a normal thing to text, even if you're. I mean, I think it's a. I think it's a little funky to text someone who you know your daughter hasn't invited to her birthday party. Yeah, that's fucked up. Like, can you do this favor that's for us? That's kind of fucked, fucked up. up. Totally so, fucked up. Whatever, but. But that is that wasn't the question. The question wasn't is it wrong for these people to be asking me for this stuff. The question was is it is it like how do I deal with the fact that they're texting me these for these favors? And like I don't think there's anything wrong with texting another parent and saying, "Hey, I'm trying to coordinate such and such a thing. Can you do it?" And the reason you do that is because you sometimes you are looking for an immediate answer because you've got moving parts you're trying to coordinate. You know, can I get Johnny at you know, to the mall, if I have to pick up so-and-so at the gym thing, if I, you know what I mean? So like you're in the middle of communicating and you're like, okay, well let me text X and see if she can, if she can do the mall trip and then that way I can get my hair cut then. And so you're looking for an immediate response and, and email is, is, is nothing if not immediate. And that's just the fact of the case. I'm going to speculate that this mom and I are both members of the set of people for whom like, okay, we do things by, by the proper protocol. Right, we send you send the emails because then I'm sitting at my desk and I'm processing my emails and I go through and I make my appropriate decisions and I do it in my time and we do it asynchronously like that and and the fact that you other mom are um, need an answer right away because you've got you're juggling a million moving parts that just means you don't have your proper protocols in order and you need to sit down <laughs> and get super organized with your protocols and then we can communicate uh, via email at at um, you know when we're sitting at our desk doing our email processing rather than like. <laughs> on my phone blowing up when I'm trying to watch a movie with my spouse or whatever. But I, I, I think it's important to recognize that the world doesn't conform to our protocols. And and, and yeah. like this mom says, um, you know, people, oh, I think that we are perceived in our community as highly responsible. I bet you are, mom in Seattle. Yeah. I bet you are perceived as highly responsible. And I think that's part of what's fucking you up. And mm. in a way, yeah. you need to both be and be perceived as a bit less responsible, both by the members of your community and by you. And then you will wind up arranging things in a slightly more chaotic, slightly less proper protocol way, Whereas Carvel said, everybody's juggling a million things and we're shooting off messages to one another. And it's kind of lively and organic and things get dropped and things get missed and everything's inefficient and it kind of drives you insane. But I'm afraid that's the way the world is and, and you and me. We both have to kind of get with that. Well, I think it's I think it's one thing to text a whole group of moms and say, "Hey, can somebody please help me out? I'm in an emergency situation." It's another thing to text just one mom when you're not friends with that person, or you know your kids aren't friends. That's a that's different. Uh, I do think the solution here is to just not respond, or when you get one of those big group texts, do that thing on your iPhone where you can just say, "Remove myself from the group conversation." 
everyone will see that you removed yourself from the group conversation and they won't include you in the next one. It works. It totally works. The other thing with regard to if you have an iPhone, you can use do not disturb mode when you're drinking wine or watching a movie. And then you will not receive any of the text messages that you get during that time. You won't be alerted to them. That's super convenient. And then later, if someone says to you, hey, did you get my text in it? You can say, yeah, you know what? I didn't get it until Monday. Sorry. And like, that's that. The less you're available, the less people will ask you for things. That's something that I've learned because I'm never available. (laughs) Nobody asks me for shit anymore. (laughs) But the other side side of the coin of that then is that when you need something, it feels really uncomfortable to ask. So I find myself sometimes like in a real bind and having to ask another parent. And I feel so guilty about it because I know I have never driven their damn kid anywhere. And I'm like, Mm. hey, is there any way? And I, I always maybe like overdo it with my like ask and feel really bad and I owe you and they're always like what are you talking about it's no big deal because I don't I'm not that person so um and so you also can also the other downside is I sometimes have felt excluded because there are sometimes Mm. things that I have wanted to participate in but everyone assumes that I won't or can't so they don't even ask um so there's a, a flip side to this that I just want you to be aware of if you start stepping back and drawing those boundaries better you kind of are gonna start to feel excluded sometimes maybe and maybe just remember that when you want to be included or when you do need help that uh there it, it there is a community built around these things and it can be a little bit of a dance yeah but this person i think i think it's a little i think that's true but i don't think that's actually germane advice to the situation this person is in and that's just this is just my reading of of their letter i i think there there's a big there's a wide swath of space between i feel personally responsible to answer every single text message immediately as it comes in and screw all these people i'm not a part of anything oh damn it and now i need someone to drive someone to gymnastics like i think that there's a wide spectrum between those two poles and i think this person is way on the one end of feeling responsible to reply to everyone and so she's doing this thing where she's feeling resentful towards the people that are texting her because she feels responsible to respond to them but she's not but i don't think she's anywhere near close to being in a place where she i think for her even sort of taking three hours to respond to a text probably feels like she's like letting down the entire community. You know what I'm saying? So I just feel like she's actually pretty far from being worried about that. Like, I don't think she's like, I think in fact, and in fact, the reason I I guess I I like make that distinction is because I think that that's probably one of her fears is that if I don't respond quickly enough and, and, and I'm not involved enough, then I'll be excommunicated on some level. And that that, you know, and people won't like me enough and people won't care for me enough. I won't be seen as responsible enough because I thought that was an interesting line too. like, why add that into the thing? I feel like that is a that's that's an identity that like this person feels connected to. And I think they might be somewhat afraid that they're going to lose what they feel like comes with that. Um, And so I guess my advice would be like, even if you don't respond to people's texts until the movie is done or even if you don't respond to the people's texts until after you finish your glass of wine and your response is, hey, thanks for letting me know. Sorry, I can't do it. You know, try so-and-so. That that actually doesn't mean that you're going to lose your standing or be fully excommunicated. It just means that you'll have your Friday nights back. And that's ultimately what you want. So I think this person has a lot more space to go between feeling responsible for everyone's text and also being being like kind of an outsider. You know what I'm saying? I think you're right. I just want to say in sympathy with mom in Seattle that um, 
the problem with texts is that they don't, you can't mark them as unread or star them or flag them to follow up later or whatever. So when you get one, I'm all, when I get one, I should use I statements here. When I get one, I'm always <laughs> anxious that if I don't follow up on it now, it gets lost. And then I like, I'm not, I'm now accountable for that text and I have to store it in my head. Whereas the advantage of email is that you can just mark things to read them later. And then you, you read them when is a good time for you to read them. I, again, I understand I'm, I'm fighting against the tide here. Email is over, Gabe. I, Face it. I it's don't, over. I don't expect to win this battle, <laughs> but I sympathize with the feeling of people are putting more and more stuff in my head for me to hmm. hold in my mind and remember and be accountable to. Um, and I, I think good, yeah. you and me both, Mom in Seattle, have to find a way to let go of that feeling of accountability, and you'll reply to most of the messages later, and some of them will get lost, and that will be fine because that is all part of the way we as human beings live and operate in the world now. Um, I did have the thought recently that I wish you could flag texts. Just yes, this last week or two days ago on the plane, I had texts to respond to and I was like, I can't respond to that now, but I want to do later. And I was like, God, I wish you could flag texts for like, get to this later. So if there's any app developers listening, do that. Get on that. Figure out a way for us to flag texts. <laughs> or perhaps consider using a lot more email. No. Oh, stop it. He's like, you're like shaking the fist, get off my lawn guy right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's yeah, not good. Know. You know what? If that you is agree with too, Gabe, email him at Gabe at Hotmail.com. <laughs> Gabriel Roth at G- AOL.com. Gabriel Roth 73 at AOL.com. <laughs> Sugar Ray Fan 1001 <laughs> at Yahoo.com. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time now for recommendations. We're going to recommend things to you. You're going to like them. Rebecca, what do you recommend? Well, I've been thinking a lot about the conversation we had last week on the show about like the awful slog of parenting young kids and like the subsequent conversations that that sparked on the Facebook page. So I've kind of been looking back and thinking a lot about the parenting hacks I used to do to get through those you know, transactional days where I was just like, I couldn't get my shit together to take anyone anywhere because it was just so depressing, the thought of having to like pack all the stuff I would need. And um, anyway, so one of the things that my kids used to like always love doing was art. Um, you know, they love to paint especially, but like painting supplies and stuff for painting and the way they like to paint, like they like to, you know, like paint things on canvases. It got like expensive and we couldn't afford it. And I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And so one of the (laughs) parenting hacks that I came up with was um, for art supply bargain hunting, I would go to 
a big box store, any big box store will do, Walmart, Kmart, Target, Michael's Crafts, any kind of like store that sells that stupid, ugly art that comes pre-made on those stretched canvases on frames, they all Mm -hmm. have like a clearance section where you can buy these like stupid, ugly, pre-made paintings and prints that come on stretched frames for like $5 or $3 or even a dollar. I would buy them like in bulk and use white matte spray paint to spray over all of those canvases. And then my kids would always have like these very fancy looking art canvases to paint on. Like, and I would just get, you know, acrylic paints or whatever. Because the thing that I I found with kids and their love of art is that like the fancier you make it, like give them a canvas, they'll actually take time and they'll sit there for an hour instead of sitting there for five minutes like they'll do with crayons. Because it feels special. It feels like, ooh, this is Mm -hmm. a thing that I'm making that someone might hang up someday. Um, So it just Mm -hmm. takes longer. And And I just, you know, digging through the stuff I used to do, that was one of them. Big box stores, super deep discount, stupid, ugly, pre-made, like that art that has, you know, pictures of fruit or like inspirational sayings or whatever. Uh, When it gets to be a dollar, buy as much of it as you can, stick it in a closet and then spray paint it white and let your kids paint on it. That's my recommendation. Good job. Good one. Nice. Uh, I'm going to recommend something. This goes back to the conversation about Leo refusing to listen to adult music unless it has superheroes in it. So... The thing that we've been doing that has worked for us pretty well um, is a Spotify family plan. Um, I don't if you listen to Spotify, if you use Spotify for your music, it's good. Spotify's good. I like Spotify. Um, if you get the family plan, then you can have one account. I have one account for me. We have one account for my wife, and then we have one account for the kids. And so the kids can have all their kids' music playlists, and I can make a playlist that's nothing but stupid television theme songs or whatever. And they can like figure out. On, we have an iPad, and and Leo can like figure out how to play the music that he wants to play on it. Um, but it doesn't, like, now my Spotify recommendations are not all full of, like, themes from Nickelodeon Junior <laughs> shows or whatever. Um, and it's a lifesaver, frankly. It's the only way I get to ever listen to any music of my own. Um, so the Spotify family plan, it's much less money than everybody getting an individual plan. It's only slightly more money than you getting your own plan. Um, give it a try. Carvel. Love it. I'm going to recommend, uh, uh, I'm going to do something that, a recommendation that came from neither one of my kids, but rather one of their teachers. This recommendation comes from one of our favorite teachers in the past, uh, Mariah Castle, who is the drama instruction specialist at Malcolm X Arts and Academic Magnet School in Berkeley, which both my kids went to. And that's a long way of saying she was the theater teacher at Malcolm X. And and we love Miss Castle. And um, she recently... Uh, recommended the book Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag. Um, And she said it was one of her favorite books. And I asked her if I could talk about it on the show. And she said, by all means, I think more people should read this book and everything. So I'm recommending this book. It's by Rob Sanders. And it tells the story of the how the flag came to be, how the rainbow flag came to be. Um, it's uh, for, it's kind of written in language that's for kids maybe, let's say, five to eight or somewhere in there. And um, it comes highly recommended from someone we really trust. So that's Pride, the story of Harvey Milk and the rainbow flag. Nice. 
And that's our show. If you have a question that you want us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or send an email to slate.com. If you're not already in our Facebook group, the discussion there over the past couple of weeks has been wild. Facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting or just go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace in Seattle and Rebecca Lavoy in New Hampshire, I'm Gabriel Roth in Brooklyn, New York, and we'll see you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.